0: Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Keith Craft. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com.
1: Hey, put your hand over your heart. Let's make some declarations this morning. And so glad that you're here. And if you're a guest with us, we're not saying the Pledge of Allegiance. But what we do is we just say some things out of our mouth from our heart. So the words will be on the screen, so say this with me. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship, created for good works. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up holy hands because that's what God calls them. Say it with me. Come Holy Spirit, say it again. Come Holy Spirit, say it again. Come Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. So glad you're here. We're going to talk about the goodness of God today. Give somebody a hug. Give them a high five. Tell them you're glad that they're here. So honored to have you in the house today, and uh, I want to talk to you about the goodness of God, actually the theology of the goodness of God, and I'm going to get to that uh, in just a minute, but I want to just say we had a historical week here at Elevate Life Church, and that is we had our 17th annual Dream Team Awards, and um, we used to do it in just a night, like on a Friday night and then a Saturday but it's grown so much that we just did it every night, and teams gathered here, hundreds of people each night, all week long. And then we, we gather together on Saturday, where I do this one time a year. We call it our Leadership Weekend, where I just impart on leadership. And uh, it was a great, great day of celebration and honor. And uh, so anyway, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful uh, time and what a wonderful week that it has been. And I'm just so glad y'all are in God's house today. Are you glad to be here? Is there any better subject than the goodness of God? The goodness of God. And I wanna talk about that. I'm calling it the theology of, of the goodness of God because theology is really two words um, in both the Greek and the Latin, and it's theology. Well, theo is God, ology uh, on, on the end of any word, whether it's biology. Uh, theology, uh, physiology, kinesiology, um, psychology. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Uh, The ology part is the philosophy part. So psychology, the philosophy of the the mind. Biology, the philosophy of organic growth, uh, on and on and on. So theology is really God's philosophy as it relates to his own goodness and the goodness of God. And so I want to just kind of jump off here and talk just for a few moments about that. And the elevated thought, uh, again, being here at Elevate Life Church, this is an average life church. And so we're always, God's always challenging our thinking because when you elevate your thinking, come on, you elevate your life. And God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. And He's always given us an invitation to think like Him. How many of you think if you think better, your life will be better? It really, really will be. And so. Uh, the elevated or big thought is, and if you've been around church, how many of y'all been around church some in your life? And if you hadn't been around church, we're going to introduce what I would call a cliche in the church, at least the church I, I came up in, uh, but it's more than a cliche, and it's this. God is good all the time and all the time. Come on, God is good. Let's say it together. God is good all the time and all the time God is good, even when we're not. Even when we're bad, God's still good. Even when we're not good all the time, God's good all the time. And so talking about the goodness of God, take a look at your notes. And by the way, these people, what they're holding up is $1,500 checks. And if you want one, just raise your hand. They're, giving out, they're holding up some notes which are worth more than $1,500 in Jesus' name. Uh, and they've got a pen for you as well. And, again, if you're a guest with us, Pastor Sheila and I. And, by the way, if you haven't met her, Sheila, stand up. Yeah, go ahead, baby. This is Sheila. It's Pastor Sheila, the number one cheerleader in the house. But we'll be in the lobby, and we'd love to meet you after the service. Just come by and say hi to us and uh, tell us if you liked the service. And if you didn't, just still come by and meet us. The theology of the goodness of God. First and foremost, God is a good God. God is a good God. Can you give me a good amen on that? God is a good God. And you know when when maybe you when when we talk about God as a good God, what that means is God is a good Father. And sometimes, if you've grown up in a home where your father um, where you didn't have a father or you didn't have a good experience with your father, it's hard to picture a God that is a good God, a good Father. And so, let me show you what the Bible says: Psalms 34, verse eight and nine, in the Message Bible says, "Open your mouth and taste." Open your eyes and see. In the New King James Version, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But in the Message Bible, it says, open your mouth and taste, open your eyes and see. And this is speaking metaphorically how good God is. You see, sometimes we don't know how good something is until we try it. And I could have an orange up here today, and I could say, this is great. And you may have never tasted an orange. And I could say, you've got to taste this. And you go, well, no, you know, I'm just really not into oranges. No, 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 take a bite. I mean, I was with, uh, we're we're having the duty, I shouldn't say duty, the delight. Pardon me. Rewind. The delight of watching our grandchildren for four days in a row. And uh, (laughs) it's been very Delightful. Duty just slipped out. But um, it's been very uh, delightful, especially every night it seems that uh, Layla Shayla, which I didn't know this about her, wakes up every night and she cries. And since now the baby monitor's in our room, uh, she's waking up and, "Ah!" and then this sweet little voice in a crying voice says, Precious! Precious. And I go, honey, she's calling you. That that that's she's not saying Papa Gorilla. She's saying precious. It's the sweetest thing. And Sheila's going, oh pre-. I go, I have to Sheila does not wake up. I wake up and so I have to wake Sheila up and go, do you hear your name? Precious. Anyway, the delight of having them for four days. And so uh so anyway, last night Sheila went in there and she goes, I'm just going to go, I'm, I'm not going to do what we did the other night. And that's put her in bed with us. Because, see, that's me. That's me, I confess. I did it with our children. Like, I go, oh, oh, you're not happy. Come lay with me. And so, and sure enough, she came and laid with us the first night. She went right to sleep. It was wonderful. She hugged up next to me. It was awesome. And, but anyway, she said, I don't want to do that. I go, okay. And so she said, I'm just going to tell her to go back to sleep. And she has such a powerful way about her. She goes, Layla, Shayla, you need to go. And I hear everything on the monitor. You need to go back to sleep. She goes, I can't find my turtle. Her turtle is this turtle thing that lights up the room with stars. And so Sheila found it. She turned it, she turned it on, and Layla went to sleep. So it was amazing. So anyway, uh, but I, I, I had something. I can't remember what it was. I wish I could tell you. It's insignificant. But I had something. Hey, Layla, take a bite of this. And she's just looking at me. I go, just, just taste it. Just put this in your mouth. You're going to like it. And she goes, I don't want it. And I, I, so I took a bite, and I said, Look, taste it. She says, Now I really don't want it. No, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I think about that. I think God offers us Himself, and we go, I'm Not sure I want that. And so the Bible says, Taste and see, so we can understand. And open ourselves up that the Lord is good. Somebody put an amen on that. Blessed are you who run to him. Worship God if you want the best. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you want the best? Worship God if you want the best. A lot of people wonder, you know, by the way, if you're a guest with us, you're probably wondering what the chairs are for in the first 20 minutes. Because everybody's standing up singing karaoke. And here's what I want to tell you. That's sometimes what people think. It's like, why are we standing? Why are we singing these songs? I don't even know these songs. Or I may not like these songs. Or I may not feel a flow or, or whatever. But, but here's the reality. We do this... Because we are not only believers, but we are the sons and daughters of the most high God. We're part of his kingdom. And when we come into his house, and by the way, this is his house, and we gather together in his name, guess what we do? We worship him. Because the Bible says when you worship him, you're not not only going to get the best, but you're going to learn to be your best. And then the Bible goes on to say this, worship opens the door to his goodness, Worship opens the door to his goodness. So God is good. Psalms 84 verse 11 says this, For the Lord is a sun and a shield. Let me stop right here and say this. What does that mean? The Lord is the light and the Lord is the protector. The Lord is our light and the Lord is our protector. The first act of God in Genesis 1.1, the Bible says that the earth was dark. It was void. It was full of darkness. It was chaotic. And and God said, let there be light. And what I've discovered in Genesis, the first chapter, is that Genesis is a template by which God wants us to live our life. So I don't have time to go through that. Maybe I'll come back to that next week. But the first act of God was he was in a dark situation. He saw the dark situation. He was in a void situation. He saw the void situation. He was in a chaotic situation. He saw the chaotic situation. And he, as God said, let there be light. And God wants us to understand something. That if he is light, then Jesus came, who's God's sons and says, now you're the light. You're the light of the world. A city that cannot be hid. And he says don't light a candle and put it under a bushel but let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they don't go hey you're a great person but they glorify God because of you so God is wanting us to understand something he is a son and he is a shield he is a light and he is a protector and he wants us to be those kind of people that no matter what the situation is we have the power to bring light and protection So, God is a good God, for the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And I just declare over this house, I declare over your house, I declare over your marriage, I declare over your family, that God has the power and the ability to bestow favor and honor, and in the name of Jesus today, he is bestowing favor and honor because he's a good God. Put a big amen on that. And then I love this. This is the Bible. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he uphold to those who walk uprightly. You know, there's certain aspects about God that I'm, I'm convinced. And, and again, this is my opinion. But I, I'm convinced that you can't know certain parts about God until you become a parent. It, it's so difficult to understand how a parent feels about their child and i i'll i'll say this today I, I still i still don't think my kid's get it i think josh is starting to get it i think he's starting to understand this little baby this little life and 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 how he doesn't have to like conjure up feelings for the baby. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to go, well, I, you know, I hope, I hope everything's going to go right. It's, it's constantly on his mind. I, I don't think my kids still to this day, except now that they're be, are beginning to have children, Keela, as they're, as they're beginning <laughs> to have children, can they understand how much we love them? I took a picture of Sheila um, this week and posted it on Instagram of her holding um, Livy, Ray and Layla Shayla, and, and uh, I said, you know, I just look at her holding those babies, and I go, it just reminds me of how you were with our children, but also just how you are as a person. And I think about God and the way he thinks about us. And I can tell you, I am, I am, um, I'm not delusional to think that there's people in my life that think about me all the time. In fact, in this uh, very delightful few days, Pastor Sheila was not at the first service. And here's what I said in the first service, and I will say this in front of her with assurance to you. This morning, Pastor Precious was not thinking about me. There wasn't one thought about me. She she was about her duty. She was about her... Chuck, give me something to wipe myself with. Um, I I need to say that Sheila, Pastor Sheila, shouted from the gallery that she did get me a coffee this morning. And so thank you for that, honey. Yes, you did think about me. I, I wasn't saying you didn't. I was saying during the first service you weren't thinking about me. And that would be an accurate statement. Not that you didn't think about me this morning, but during the first service, you weren't thinking about me because you were totally inundated with these children. I mean, it's amazing how demanding uh, that. (laughs) Here's what I'm telling you. I'm not delusional in my mind to think that anybody would think about me all the time. And most of us don't even think about anybody thinking about us all the time. But here's what I want to tell you. God thinks about you all the time. He thinks about you all the time. And I can tell you that throughout the day, I think about my children. Sometimes it's all the time. I think about, and, and, and I want the best for them, and I pray for them, and I believe God for them. And as a father, that's what I, that's what I do. And if I can understand it on that that small infinitesimal level, then how magnanimous and how extravagant is God's goodness towards us that he wants the best for us all the time. But because of our life, whether the busyness of our life or the responsibilities like right now in this season with us, with our two grandbabies, the the responsibilities sometimes take us off course because it demands our energy and our time. And we forget that God is a good God and he's always thinking, how can I bless them? He's always thinking, what can I do for them? He's always thinking in advance how much he loves us. You know, uh, until I went to college, I wouldn't consider myself a reader. Uh, I don't know about you. But I did read as a, as a child. I read uh, biographies. I love biographies. I was an athlete, and so I read every biography I could on athletes that I admired from, from Babe Ruth to, I mean, every biography or autobiography that there was about athletes. I remember going to the library in L. O'Donnell Elementary School, checking out books on, on athletes, because I thought, you know, even in my mind early, I was thinking, like, how did they become a great athlete, you know? Well, how did they become a great person? And then, then I really got intrigued in the seventh grade, and I've shared this story here before But in the seventh grade, I actually played uh, Abraham Lincoln in a play. And... uh and so I learned about Abraham Lincoln. It intrigued me about our 16th president, about how the Emancipation Proclamation, how it wasn't okay for him, for any man to be a slave. And it just intrigued me because I thought, who who would stand up against the tide of society and say this is not okay and and ultimately give their life for it? And the, the truth is, is that those are the kind of books that I read, and they were mainly biographies, and Carol Sandberg wrote about... Uh, Abraham Lincoln, I've read everything that he ever wrote and had done it by the time I was in the seventh grade. But when I got to college, I was really introduced to some great authors, and I became really a voracious reader and hungry for the things of God. And two authors that 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 came into my sphere were A. W. Tozier and J.I. Packer. And A.W. Tozier wrote a book called The Pursuit of God, and here's what he said about goodness. He said, the goodness of God is that which deposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill towards men. He is tender-hearted and quick of sympathy. Can you put an amen on that? And I remember in, in even reading that, allowing that to be planted in the soul of my spirit and to saturate my spirit, that God is a good God, and that even when Jesus was announced by angels in heaven to shepherds, and and here's, here was the announcement. Peace, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace and good will towards man. Can I just tell you, God has good will towards you. You may sometimes think, nobody cares about me, nobody thinks about me, nobody nobody wants good for me. You know who the most important person that would ever want good for you that's in your corner? It's God. And he has good things in store for you. He has good things just with your name on it. I think about Angela Schaefer, and I think about how so many many tragedies by the time she was 15 and 17 and the marriages and the things. And then she meets Chris and then their life isn't going the way it should be. And yet the one day... Everything shifted in one moment in a church service when she heard about the mercy of God, and she stood up. And the rest of that story, she turned to that preacher's kid who wasn't living for God, who was still sitting. She said, are you going to do this with me? And he stood up, and their life shifted that day, and they've never looked back, Free from drugs, free from alcohol, free from (laughs) sin. And today, elders in our church and leaders in our midst, and I think about the goodness of God. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, I remember the first time I picked up Knowing God, it was for a class and I read it and I went, oh my goodness, I read the first chapter and went, okay, I got to read that again. And I wish I had Josh back then because he could have interpreted it for me. But he says about the goodness of God that really the idea of goodness at its heart is the generosity of God. Have you ever thought that God... No matter what wants to lavish you, he longs to give to you, that the core of his character and all of his attributes is simply this. He loves you, and because he loves you, he gives to you. There is no scarcity. When he sees you, when you come into his infinite mind, he longs to bless you. He longs to encourage you. He longs to create a path. He longs for you. Generosity, Packer says, expresses itself in the simple wish that others might have what they need to be happy. And I can tell you that about my children. I can tell you that about my friends. That people there in my life, it's like my, my motivation is, you know what? I want to know what makes you happy, and I want to make you happy. Happy I want that and if I think like that think about how much more God thinks about that 24/7 about each one of us well I mentioned this weekend uh, and you know uh, one of the greatest lovers and the greatest givers that I know in our church uh, served faithfully in this house he was a part of our original core when we met on November 3rd 1999 and uh, what was so was it the second? I'll get it right. That's the only date I ever mix up, the 2nd or the 3rd. I don't know why, but I'm good with dates, but I don't, yeah, I got it. November 2nd. Everybody say it back to me. I've got it. Okay, so on November 2nd, 1999, about 23 or 24 of us met in a room in Winters, New Avis, and um, I had the privilege of sitting with 12 of those people on the stage yesterday. So great that are still in this house, still serving faithfully, and um, and one of those people that was there uh, was a man by the name of Leif and Hope Angel. Leif and Hope Angel. So they were there in that meeting. And so for 14, going on 15 years, Leif served faithfully in this house. He was such a great servant leader, still is a great servant leader in this house, uh, to the point where, you know what, I felt like there, there was a pastoral call in his life. And I called him up, and we, we blessed him, ordained him to be a pastor in this house, and uh, Leif is a guy that didn't just serve. Now he oversees our over 2,200 servant leaders in the house and then also was the first man to give a kidney to somebody in our church. And so when you see him, and if you ever hear me call him 1K, you'll know I'm honoring him by saying that because he's one of the, the greatest men I know. Leif, I'm going to ask that you come on up here. Give Pastor Leif a big hand. Would you do that right now? Now go ahead and be seated. Uh, I asked Leif just to share a story. I could have told the story, but he can tell a lot better because uh, Leif, you you shared something yesterday about the goodness of God, and I just wanted everybody to hear it. So if you don't mind, just uh, just share that story.
0: Absolutely. So uh, it was September of 2013, and a couple had moved from Chicago, Illinois to the Frisco area and began attending Elevate Life Church. Um, They went home for a couple of days, and as they were going to drive home, decided to drive through the night because, like Hope and I, I don't want to stay in a hotel. I want to just get where I'm going. And so they decided to do the same thing. So as they set out that night, uh, they're going to drive through the night and get home. Well, it was, uh, I think, in the Missouri area is what he had said, that they stopped and got gas. And they got back on the road, and they're driving down the road, and a couple of hours later, he gets that sick in your gut cold sweat kind of realization that he's left his wallet on top of the gas pump at the last gas stop so he and his bride now are driving through the night and uh, they finally pull into the choctaw indian nation casino gas station in durant oklahoma at three o'clock in the morning and pull up to the pump they have no way to pay for the gas they need but they pull up and park beside the pump and just bow their heads and just say one of those crazy prayers. God, I don't know how you're going to get us out of this, but could you please help? And I want to put a pin in that story just for a minute, and I want to come back to a different story. I promise I'll come back to this one. But it was about a year before I joined staff that I was uh, a regional sales manager for an industrial control repair and uh, automation company. And I was traveling at the time in Arkansas, and I got a, I got a phone call from one of my very favorite clients, um, Shane at, at Flexingate in Ada, Oklahoma, called me up and said, uh, listen, we're in a bad spot. We're in a jam because we've had uh, a part, a component on our production line, a critical part, crash. And I mean it crashed in the sense that it almost caught fire and was literally smoking when they caught it and pulled it out of the machine and and put it aside. They put a second, the backup unit in place, and it failed immediately. So they put the backup to the backup in the unit, and it failed within a very short amount of time, and then they were lying down. The entire production facility is stock still. So he calls them and says, this is like a seven-figure type of problem, a a seven-figure-a-day type of problem. What can you do to get me running right now? I had a great idea, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take all three parts that failed, put them uh, them with a courier and put them on the first flight you can get from Oklahoma City to Detroit. I'm gonna get on the phone with our best tech in Detroit and tell them to clock out and go home and get some sleep and meet these parts at midnight. And he's going to pick the best of the three. He's going to repair it all night long and get it ready for the first flight back to Oklahoma City. I'm going to change my course and divert. I'm going to go to Oklahoma City. I'll be waiting on it at the airport when it, when it lands, and I'll drive it to you. We're going to get it plugged in and get you back up and running. You're going to be down for less than 18 hours. It's going to be great. He's thrilled. I'm super proud of myself. And we're moving on. So I got to Oklahoma City and I was ready the next morning until I got the phone call that said that they, they put it on a test stand after the repair and it failed test, they couldn't ship it. Okay, a little bit nervous now, but we, we made arrangements it was gonna be in the second flight. The repair took longer than expected so we missed the second flight, but it's gonna be in the third flight. Before the third flight, they put it back on a test stand and it failed test again. Now everybody's sweating. The company that was so happy with me the night before was not happy with me at all at this point. But they got the part repaired. It passed us. They put it on the fourth flight of the day. Okay, now we're going to be good. Until I got the phone call that the flight had been delayed. Now, is anybody here, by this point, would you be aggravated, frustrated, irritated, all the above? I had to go to the freight counter of the American Airlines location there in Oklahoma City Airport and make best buddies with their freight agent at the desk and convince him to stay open late just for me. And so what I did is I bought him dinner, I said, hey, listen, here's some money, go get yourself a dinner, and when you come back, the part will be here, and we'll be good. So he, he finally agreed, and that's what he was going to do, so he goes off and he gets dinner, and about the time he leaves, you see the, the, the tram or trolley with uh, the parts that pulls back in the freight area, and we had very distinctive packaging. I could see my package on top. It's here, but I just sent the guy that I need to get it away for dinner. This is going to be really great, and this is just working out perfectly. So he finally comes back. I get my hands in the part, and I leave out of Oklahoma City about midnight to get to 8 Oklahoma to take him this, this part. And we get to 8 Oklahoma, and I get to the third shift manager. Now, I've had a really, really, really long day. He's just getting started. He's on a second cup of coffee. So we get the part plugged in. It works. He's back up and running. Life is good. And now he's so happy he wants to catch up and visit. I don't want to visit at 2 o'clock in the morning. But, you know, this is a customer service issue. I'm a customer relations kind of guy. Let's talk for just a bit. But I get out of it as fast as I can. About 2 o'clock in the morning, I leave 8 Oklahoma, and I'm heading home. I'm not going to get a hotel. I'm going to head home. So I got gas in Oklahoma City. I don't need gas. But as I'm going down the road, I make the realization that I'm not going to make it home unless I get some caffeine, too. So at 3 o'clock in the morning, I pull into the Choctaw Indian Nation Casino gas station at 3 o'clock in the morning in my black Chevy Avalanche that's now my son's, and it's got my little white ELC cross in the back glass. It stands out like a sore thumb because everything else in the vehicle is black and there's just a little white cross on the back windshield. So I pull past them and park by the front door. They no sooner finish their prayer, this couple I started the first story with, no sooner finish their prayer and they look up and they see the white ELC cross. So I go inside and I'm gonna get my caffeine, but before I go to the, uh, get my caffeine, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. And it's three o'clock in the morning again in a casino gas station bathroom. And I hear a voice behind me that says, excuse me, do you go to Elevate Life Church? <laughs> you have to know I was not prepared for that question at that particular moment. <laughs> Let's just say he interrupted my flow. So in that moment of time, I'm not ready for this. But here's the thing, because I've been a servant leader in this house for 14 years, I quickly do away with my first thought, which was, excuse me, I'm just trying to get a home, could you please leave me alone? And I step into servant leader mode and say, you know what, I'm here to bless whoever God puts in my path. So I finish up and turn around and talk to him <laughs> and say, yes, I do, how can I help you? And he tells me his story and we, we get him um, a tank of gas and back on the road, but I want to go back just for a minute and connect some dots. What if the part had passed tests and been on the first flight or the second flight or the third flight? What if the fourth flight hadn't been delayed? What if the, uh, the, the freight agent at the American Airlines counter had not wanted to go get a bite to eat? What if the third shift manager at 2 o'clock in the morning hadn't felt all chatty? <laughs> Bless God. <laughs> and here's another thing. What if I had turned around and snapped at him and said, excuse me, I'm just trying to get home. Would you leave me alone? This is not the time for that. But here's the thing. That morning... At 3 o'clock in the morning, they prayed a prayer. And in their mind, the goodness of God was that they no sooner said amen than they see the little white ELC cross. What they didn't know was that God was answering their prayer 36 hours before. And the amazing thing for me was the goodness of God to me was that he allowed me to be a part of a miracle he was doing in this couple's lives to demonstrate his love for them and his goodness to them. So I, I was blessed to be a part of that miracle and they were blessed, but really that's just one of those, those, those God moments that we have to look back and really connect the dots on. Because you can, you can see it's coincidence until you understand, no, that's God's goodness on display.
1: Let's give life a hand and the goodness of God a hand. Amen. That's awesome. Awesome. Beautiful. So the theology of the goodness of God, first of all, is God is a good God. Here's the second thing, and I want to close with this. God is looking for a tribe of people to show his goodness. God is looking for a tribe of people to show his goodness. You know, we talked about the Dream Team week this last week and the, the uh, awards that were given out. You met Angela and... Chris Schaefer, who were our first MVP award winners, our most valuable players, 17 years ago. Well, 17 years later, yesterday, we gave our 17th MVP award. Just wanted to show you a little clip of the week and then also show you who got the award. So, take a look at this. I have a dream that someday the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will be characterized by the strength of its relationships
2: along the way is waiting for somebody to speak into their potential and to say, I believe in you. And ladies and gentlemen, for the final award, which is the MVP award, take the pleasure, Sheila. But it says, this couple makes coming to church fun. They are amazing in their roles as ushers and greeters in this house. So we know they're from the ushers and greeters. Alonzo and Heidi! is so bright and it's so beautiful and it's because of all of you and it's because of the culture of this house and we adore every single one of you and it's such an honor
0: and all I can say is
1: God is good so God is looking for a tribe of people to show his goodness why would God have a chosen people have you ever thought about that most people if you were to ask them who are God's chosen people the answer would be well the Jews of course they're God's chosen people But what people don't realize is, this is what the Bible says. 2 Chronicles, the 16th chapter in the 9th verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. In other words, he's looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who, called, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So, so who are God's chosen people? The truth is, God says the people that are his chosen people are people who love his ways, who honor his ways, and who serve the way that he's called all of us to serve. Everybody say this with me. Say love, Love, honor, honor, serve. (laughs) Say it one more time. Love, honor, and serve. Who are God's chosen people? God's chosen people are people who love the way he loves, people who honor the way he honors and what he says to honor, and people who serve on behalf of him for his glory in the earth. That's what you heard uh, life angel did he was actually elevated in this house because of the way he served in this house and that doesn't mean everybody that serves here will become a pastor here but if that's the destiny that god has on your life guess what find a place plug in serve love honor and guess what god god will make a way for you the bible says that a man's gift makes room for him and puts him before great men but at the same time when you know it's not about just your gift you know it's not just about how you're utilized but it's just you know what i'll serve i'll do whatever that day, what was needed was some, was some uh, money for gas. Now, Leif would not think in his own mind of himself, hey, I'm a rich guy, so I've got money to, to put gas in your tank. That's what was needed at that time, and he was able to meet that need. But I have, in going to Israel recently, uh, for years, I've been intrigued by the Jewish people and have great respect and great honor for them. There was a book that was written in 2000 called The Jewish Phenomenon. It caught my attention. I did a study on it. It's been pretty amazing. And I just want to point some things out to you that would cause you to think, well, there's something very special about the Jews. And there are. Just listen to some of these statistics. The Jewish advantage in an economic status persists in the present day. It remains higher than that of any Protestant or Catholic group, even among households of similar age, composition, and location. Now listen very carefully to this. One-third of all American, not millionaires, but multimillionaires, are Jewish. Now Jews make up only 2% of the U.S. population, yet 45% of the top 40 of the Forbes 400 richest Americans are Jewish. That one is worth repeating. Jews make up 2% of the entire population in the United States, and yet 45% of the top 40 of the Forbes 400 richest Americans are Jewish. There's a lot of other statistics, but let me jump to this. 20% of professors at at leading universities are Jewish. 40% of partners in leading New York and Washington, D.C. law firms are Jewish. 30% of American Nobel Peace winners in science are Jewish. 25% of all American Nobel winners are Jewish. And so you say, well, then God must have his hands on the Jews. This is very interesting. In this book, and and again, in other other sources as well, I just want to point something out to you. Are the Jews a race of people? Are the Jews Jews because they're religious? Are the Jews Jews because they're from Israel? What makes a Jew a Jew? Listen to this. Despite the commonplace references to the Jewish race and the Jewish religion, Jews can best be understood as members of a tribe. Hmm. Members of a tribe. A cohesive group that have particular customs, traditions, and values, and those can be religious, those can hold other commonalities, but the bottom line is, they hold things in common. Did you know that the Hebrew language was lost for many years, and when, when Israel became, uh, was reinstated as a nation in 1948, that they began to restore their language back, Hebrew or Yiddish, which is now spoken uh, in Israel in different parts of the world, but there, there was a lost language. So the Jews are Jews because they have common customs, they have common attitudes, they have common behaviors, they have common beliefs, and they have a common language. Now what's interesting is that when you think about, well, why would God be looking for a people? Why would God say, I'm looking for a people, and I want to put my hand, I'm looking to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why is that? Because God wants to show his goodness to a people. I said, God wants to show his goodness to a people. So when the Jews were asked, this is very interesting. There's so, so much stuff here. But when the Jews were asked, how would you classify yourselves? Would you classify yourselves as a religious group? Would you classify yourself as an ethnic group? Would you classify yourself as a cultural group? Would you classify yourself as a nationality? 70% of all Jews said, oh, no, no, no. It's all about culture. All about culture. It's all about culture. Yesterday, what I spoke on was not uh, just leadership in the context of Elevate Life Church, but I talked about the tribe of Elevate Life Church. I talked about the dream of the tribe, and we read what the dream is. I talked about the DNA of the tribe. Do you know that in your body, you have only four strands of DNA? Everybody here, 99% of our DNA is all the same. All of us have just four strands. And the genome code that's been discovered is that there's only a 1% difference between you and everybody that ever, has been born or ever will be born. You've heard me teach this. I have a book about it, Your Divine Fingerprint. That you have a fingerprint on the end of your fingertip that is so unique that nobody in history's ever had it and nobody in the future ever will. There's a 1% factor that I call your X factor for success. Why do I call it that? Because when Jesus prayed his longest recorded prayer in the Bible, John 17, verse 22, he said, God, you've given me your glory. Now I give it to them. I believe that 1% that differentiates you from everybody that ever has been born, evidenced by a fingerprint that God wants you to leave as an imprint, is the glory of God that is resident within you. And your number one assignment, watch this, is not just to develop your gift. It's not just to use your gift. But your number one assignment is to know your tribe not know where you're supposed to go to church well i like this church i like the music over there no who is your tribe And when you know who your tribe is, and when you get together and a group of people begin to move in the same direction, which is what we've been striving to do for 17 years, God says that's a place, according to Psalms 133, that I'm going to command a blessing, and my hand is going to come upon that place like
2: never before. If these group of people will attitude the same, if they'll believe the same thing, and somebody says, no, that, that sounds like a cult. No, that sounds like the kingdom of God. That sounds like the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what God's called us to do he's called us to get into a flow to get into a reality of what he's doing in the earth so that his goodness can be on our lives and his glory can be seen in our lives
1: now listen when I was growing up I wasn't girl crazy but I knew I needed a girl in my life and when I saw Sheila and I began to pursue her and I'm pretty good at that and I began to pursue her for about six years she wasn't sure I was sure she wasn't sure right a loud amen would be good right there now watch this many of you know this story we've been dating six years when she came to me and she said you know what I don't really know, like I haven't dated that many other guys. We've been together since we were 15. I go, okay. I said, I, I want that for you. I want you to know. I want you to be sure in your mind. So whatever you feel like you need to do. So again, I've told this story many times. I went to my then best friend. I said, hey, I want the best for her. So if, 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 if I'm not gonna be with her, you're the best. I want you to go out with her. He goes, really? I go, yes, because that's what I want. I want, I want the best for her more than I want anything else. So, so again, the story goes, That that day he asked her out. He didn't wait. He asked her out. They were at a Mexican food restaurant called Mexican Villa in Springfield, Missouri. I walked in with a group of my guy friends, which I never was with by the way, and I walked in with these group of guy friends, and she's sitting there in the booth with my best friend. And I walked over to her and they're all talking to my friend Danny, who I texted this morning, by the way. He's a pastor and prayed for him this morning. But while they were talking to her, I looked at her and I reached down and I said, Hey, listen, as you take as much time as you want. Y'all have a great time. I'm here. By the way, I love you, and I'm going to marry you. So have fun. Do whatever you want to do. So anyway, so she looked up at me and smiled, told me later she knew I was right. But here's my point. If I hadn't come into agreement with her, watch this. If we hadn't put a ring on it, there wouldn't be a Josh sitting there. There wouldn't be a Keela sitting there. And there wouldn't be a Whitney at Disney World today while I watch our kids, delightfully so. (laughs) Let me just finish by telling you this. There are many churches in America and in the world. And you know, you can go to a church and you can check the box off and say, I went to church today. But then there's some churches, and I'm not saying we're the only ones, that know who they are in the earth and the tribe of who they are. And I'm telling you, that's part of the differentiator at Elevate Life Church. I'm not ever gonna call you Jews, but I'm gonna call you an elevator. If you're here, you're an elevator. Well, what does that mean? When you elevate your thinking, you elevate your life. When you elevate your life, you help elevate other people's lives. And here's what we believe with all of our heart, if you buy into the tribe, you will reproduce the best that's in you. If it's not our tribe, find your tribe. But find your tribe, why? Because if any two of you shall agree as touching anything on earth, my Father in heaven will add his super to that natural. And the dreams and the visions and all the things that are on the inside of you are attached to who you're aligned with. So listen, you have to work through your stuff. We've had to work through stuff with Angela and Chris, or I should say they've had to work through stuff with us. If you're going to be in long-term relationship with people, if you're going to stay in the tribe, if you're going to be in the tribe, you have to fight for the tribe. And that's what God wants us to understand. So I just want to encourage you today. If you want to come here and just come to church, that's awesome. But there is another level. The other level is you can decide to be a part of this tribe. And here's what we believe. We believe just like the Jews. By the way, you say, how have the Jews, what is it that makes them, by the way, women, I've got some very exciting news for you. The most recent survey of the 25 most powerful influential women in the world, half of them are Jewish. You say, what is that? It's a way of thinking. It's a way of being. It's a way of doing. It has nothing to do with their ethnicity. It has nothing to do with them being from Israel. Let's just talk about money just for a second. All Jews, not some Jews, all Jews believe wealth is good. So can I tell you in this church, we believe Wealth is good. We don't make an apology for it. We emphasize success here, and here's what I want to tell you. It doesn't matter where you are in your journey, if you're in a tribe that believes wealth is good, guess what? Maybe it wouldn't just be a group of people called the Jews that would become the richest,
2: most influential, most successful people in the world. Maybe God would put his hand on a chosen people that get in a flow with others and say, you know what? We're going to the top. We can't be stopped. We're going to help the broken. We're going to heal the wounded. we're gonna feed the poor we're gonna build houses for people we're gonna meet people's needs we're gonna be jesus hands and feet extended and guess what you gotta have some wealth to do that so i prophesy over your life and over your business and over your family. Wealth is not just financially, but wealth is prosperity in your body. Wealth is prosperity in your spirit. Wealth is prosperity in your mind. Wealth is prosperity that you've got more than enough that God is gonna bring a blessing on you because he can trust you with his blessing because you will bless other people. In the name of Jesus, may God bestow his favor. May God bestow his honor. And God, in this house where we're not just a church, but we are a tribe in this earth. If you're looking to and fro, stop in Frisco, notice this crowd, notice this family, notice this tribe, and God put your hand on us in this place. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make
0: sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's book, Your Divine Fingerprint, and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.